Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better. What does an assistant coach do if he doesn't completely agree with the head coach's philosophy? Is there a benefit to the part method versus the whole method? How much has sports science penetrated the college ranks? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Uh, just a reminder, if you are following us over on YouTube, uh, you might not have gotten the most recent alert of our Triangle Offense video. And so if it's, you haven't, make sure to head over there and check it out because it's really good. Uh, today, I'm really happy to bring on the show Zach Bover, who is an assistant basketball coach at Army and also the man behind PickandPop.net, uh, a guy who just relishes in... Uh, sharing his knowledge of the game across every facet of Twitter and the website and email. Uh, so, Zach, I'm really glad to have you on and talk a little bit about the game of basketball and how to coach it. Happy for you having me. You know, I thought we could start by an interesting question that I've had because I've been both an assistant and a head coach at the high school level. And um, there have been times when it's a challenge to be an assistant for a head coach that you may or may not completely agree with. Uh, let's just say offensively and what they are running. So I thought we could just start out with uh, you know the, the idea of like what happens because you've, you've worked on a number of different staffs now. What happens if you don't quite align with what the head coach wants to teach uh, offensively? You know, I think a large part of it is, you know, at the end of the day, you you know, you're as an assistant, your main job is to serve your head coach. So at the end of the day, any kind of discrepancy of ideas is set to the side and you're marching in one direction. Now, I think a part of it is, you, one of your main jobs as an assistant coach is to bring ideas to the table. Um, and, and, you know, and that's something you constantly need to be bringing ideas um, and new different things, and, and some of which he may not use. And as an assistant coach, and you spend enough time, you realize that, uh, you know, that hit rate isn't, uh, isn't very high. But that's something that that's part of your job description is continue to give ideas and also approach it where you're not taking it personal when he doesn't use them. And, and you know, they're, they're, that's a – um, that's something that you need to understand that you, you're throwing him ideas. He might use some, he might not. And, you know, regardless of what he says, when you guys finish up that meeting and you're going out on the practice floor, you are, uh, you are, you know, preaching his philosophy. And I think that's an important thing that young coaches, uh, I know I had to learn of, you know, hey, you, you worked on something, you worked your tail off on something and he doesn't use it. And to just say, you know what, that's fine. You know, next, you know, whatever, whatever we're going with to kind of approach that as, as a staff. Um, the second thing I would say is, uh, and it kind of goes along with that idea thing. Uh, I had the opportunity to get a chance to learn from Kevin O'Neill, the former, uh, 
you know, head coach uh, at USC, Northwestern, Arizona, Tennessee, Marquette. You know, he's got he's got a number of them. And one thing he uh, uh, he always uh, said is, you know, a head coach never minds a, a, something slipped under his door. And I, I think that's a great opportunity to kind of get to get an idea to a guy because it's kind of as an assistant coach, you're kind of respecting the title, you're kind of respecting the position, and you just simply, you know, he's slipping something under his door when he leaves and says, "Hey, this is something I've looked at," and he gets in in the morning, looks at it, and you know, might you know, might take it, you know, on the treadmill when he's going. He looks it over and he might see something, but it's a it's a great way to kind of get to something maybe that maybe it's a great way as a young assistant to say, hey, this is something I'm working on. He gets to it on his own time, and, and that's something that's an approach I've taken. Sure. Well, you know, paint us a picture of your background. Uh, how many different uh, staffs have you been a part of? Um, let me see. I graduated from Fordham University in 2010. When I was there, I was a, it was a great opportunity for me because I was an undergrad manager. I stumbled into the men's basketball office. I knew I wanted to coach, and uh, I stumbled in there uh, early in my sophomore year, and um, I kind of stumbled out three years later when I was ready to graduate and, and, you know, go on, you know, go get my diploma. But essentially that was a great opportunity because I just got my hand in everything. I was a young guy. I was just trying to learn as much as I could. I kind of found my way into the video and I kind of found my, I found my way into the player development side. Uh, in 2010, I graduated from there, uh, found my way to Iona college, uh, where, you know, through a connection and I got a chance to work for a, a terrific coach by the name of Tim Close. Um, I worked there, uh, for a year before leaving uh, the college coaching business for a year to only to return to Iona a year later. Uh, from there, I've had uh, you know now three more stops, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey for a year, uh, University of Maine, my home state, for two years working for a terrific coach, Bob Walsh, and uh, you know just arrived at Army um, you know, just this week. Um, now, coaching an Army, I guess you, know, you haven't even quite started yet, but that, that's, uh, do you anticipate that being a radically different experience than anything you've been to before? Yeah, it, it is a different experience. There's obviously, especially coming from where I'm coming from, uh, you're, you're recruiting a different kid. Uh, but it's something I'm excited about. Um, it's a place that has had some basketball uh, tradition. You know, two of the game's greatest coaches, uh, you know, came through those doors uh, in Coach K and Bob Knight. Um, so, but you're recruiting a different kid. But then the day, um, you know, it, it's you know you're recruiting a a, a albeit a kid. Um, now he might have higher academic standards. He might have more ambition to what uh, he's trying to do in this world. But uh, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm I relish the challenge. I'm really excited about it. And I can imagine that you're going to benefit from the idea of them staying for four years, which is not the case in many Division One schools across the country. Correct. And, and to be honest, at, at Army, uh, a lot of those kids. Uh, in order to get academically prepared, they actually do a, a, a year on campus at the prep school that's there on campus. So they do a year there and then uh, attend, you know, attend the U.S. Military Academy for four years. And so you have the chance to really, while you can't work with them that prep school year, they are, you know, there on campus. You're able to see them and you're able to kind of see them grow uh, during that year. Well, here's an interesting question I have for you. Like, I, I'm assuming, or it's safe to say that you want to be a head coach at some point. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So here's my question for you. Um, do you have a an offensive playbook that you, as soon as you get that job, you are going to install it? Uh, or are you just sort of searching around and, you know, going to be taking this from this coach and this, or like that from this coach? Or how, how does that end up going? How, how do you see that path going as far as choosing your offense when you get to be a head coach? You know, it's not something that I've, uh, you know, it's not something that I've, I've had, I've been forced to do. I kind of have an idea. I would say I kind of have an idea. 
I'm like you, and to be honest, I benefited a, you know a ton from you know work that you've done. But I'm like you in that I, I, I'm I'm an offensive guy, obviously, and it's something I really like doing. I like studying different offenses. I like studying different things. So I wouldn't say here at twenty, you know, only uh, twenty eight. I, I wouldn't say I have a set thing. This is what how I want to play. You know, there's certainly there's an idea in my mind of this is this is it's just how you view the game. And to be honest, I think that's what makes uh, our game so good is you can get two highly intelligent people who are who have tremendous basketball knowledge who watch the same play and just see two different things. Mm-hmm. And the best way to th- think about that is you, is when you have an offensive and defensive guy. And you know, a friend of mine always says they watch this, they watch the ball go in, and defensive guys trying to figure out how to stop, and the offensive guy saying that's a really good action. Uh, but even with all, two different offensive guys, they might view the game very differently. So I think there's, you know, everyone has a different idea how to do things, and kind of I think the best thing in like you know guys like you and me, we're kind of always looking at different guys and saying, all right, how can we add this? How can we add this? But I think at 28, I kind of have an idea of just how I view offensive basketball. How, it, but you know, what it's funny is even as you go. And I'm sure you can speak to this. Is what I'm saying now, and what, how I view it is a lot differently than I thought even a year ago, let alone five years ago. So I'm slowly kind of forming that philosophy, slowly taking bits and pieces from here and there um, to kind of form my philosophy. But would I be ready to step on the floor and say, "Here's my playbook right now"? No, uh, that's the hard part. Is when you have a lot of that stuff is you're trying to you know you're trying to put it together it might be the hardest task. Oh yeah, I mean it's funny because I can remember when I first started uh, at my old high school, um, and like you know the, the, I was doing the freshman team and there was no co- connection at all between the varsity. So he the, their varsity coach like they weren't he wouldn't tell me their offense and I kind of asked him wanted him to and I never got that information so I had to make it up and I you know I didn't I didn't really have one so I remember taking some stuff I had done when I was playing at high school and the mishmash. And, uh, and it was okay, and it worked out okay, but uh, that's when I ended up you know, discovering the triangle a little bit later on, having known it growing up in Chicago. Um, and, yeah. And, and I think the, the secret to it all is, is the more time you spend in it, and even in this, like coming from a guy who loves systems and loves set plays and loves setting it, at the end of the day, it does come down to fundamentals, and even like in the triangle offense, you know, it's not even the necessarily the patterns, it's not necessarily the actions. It's it's the fundamentals that are born within that triangle, the pivots, the in the passing, and the the reads, and all that stuff. Um, and that's something I think you 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 see a lot. And I heard I got the chance to listen to a clinic Lenny Acuff did, um, who's a Division two coach at Alabama Huntsville, who's just a tremendous coach. And he was talking about he got a chance to spend time with John Beeline. And he said it was amazing. And all, John Beeline's a system guy. Everyone talked two-guard front, two-guard front. And it was amazing. He spent, he spent more time talking about shooting the ball and catching t- the ball. And, you know, he spent way more time on the fundamentals than anything else. And what it gets down to, I, I want, and I heard Mike Leach, uh, the football coach, say this. It was a guy, again, a system guy, air raid it's not the system. It's it's not the system. It's not the strategy. It's the fundamentals. It's the it's the skills. It's the teaching. That's what separates it. And I think that's a scary thing. Like I said, is you can only do so much. You have all these ideas. All right, what are you gonna? What are you gonna? How are you gonna narrow it down to this is what you want to do? And now the even more important, how are you gonna teach it? Because you know there have been you know there have been twenty five national championships in the last twenty five years, and they've all done something a little bit different offensively. And now what have they done? I mean, Gary Williams won the flex, which is an offense a lot of people found, you know, think is a little bit elementary. Well, you know what? As I go and, you know, I remember when I first started coaching, like, chuckle that Gary Williams on the flex. Well, 
10 years later, I'm almost more impressed. Like, how did he get, you know, there's a simple concept that he just was able to get unbelievable results out of. And, and, you know, it's almost like as I go, I have more and more respect for Gary Williams. Sure, sure. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, it just reminds me really briefly of I used to do improv comedy, long form with a group and on stage. And every once in a while, like in, the, in, uh, in our shows, you know, somehow one of those really rudimentary basic games on, of improv, well, like, like no one ever dared do that in, in, a, in a show. And I remember one of our coaches said, well, why not? Let's look at what this does and how it helps you and what the kind of structure you can have to actually do something really funny. And it's the same with flex. And we see flex action all over the place, just like we see triangle action. The video I just did on the triangle, some people were yelling at me saying, that's not triangle. That is every offense that has all these different things. And, I, yeah. you know, and, and there is some point to that, but there's also, you know, it was a little bit unique in the way it happens out there. And, but but and, what makes me what makes me excited about it is that you're, what you said about how you teach it, uh, and I wanted to ask you this: as far as teaching goes, uh, would you say you're a part method guy or a whole method guy? Obviously, you're probably under the umbrella of your the head coach. But what do you gravitate towards more? I gravitate more towards the whole. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy working out of the whole. I, I think you at least need to give that glimpse uh, of the whole before going to the part. Because I think, and I, you know, and I don't want to be the guy slamming his fist and saying the game slipped and we're not, you know, I, I don't want to be that. But I do think there are some things that I think have, I think kids are doing too many individuals and too, doing too many drills these days. And I think they're, they're more skilled than ever, but they're struggling to necessarily translate that to games. And I think a lot of times you see that even with whole teams. And I, I don't really want to speak to generational here, but I'll speak to more teams is that teams get very, do drills and they get very good at drills and then they struggle to add, to bring them to a game play. And I think you need to start in the hole and you need to really build out of five on five play. Jeff Van Gundy, uh, once he did, he had an opportunity two years ago to go to a bunch of college practices. It might even have been back when there was a NBA lockout. So he had more time, but he went to all these, he went and I got, you know, I got a chance to hear kind of his thoughts after going to all these college practices. And his first thought was, is, is college played five on five like they do in the NBA? And it was kind of, of course, it was a little smart, but sarcastic because his point was, well, if it's played five on five, why do you guys spend so much time doing two on two and three on three? And, and essentially he was saying, at the end of the day, you need to, you can drill, but you need to build out of the five on five. And I think, I think at all levels, I think one, at an advanced level of the NBA or high college, the five on five is where you need to do your teaching. And I think at the lower levels, you need to build out a five on five because I don't think kids necessarily are able to bring what they learn and what they're doing in two on two and a three on three drill to five on five play. So I think it's very important to work out of the hole. And I think there are obviously areas in which you work back to the part and you work on specific things. But I think the best way to do it is to work out of the hole. Wow. It, you know, that, that's where I'm with it. And where are you? Where, oh, where do you stand? I'm, I'm completely in disagreement with you. Right. <laughs> I think that, especially with, with the way I teach the triangle, for instance, uh, you know, I go back and so I, you know, I live in LA and so every, John Wooden is the man, uh, you know, yeah. everyone looks up to, but the guy that I always looked up to more was, was uh, Pete Newell. Pete Newell. Yeah. And uh, he was a strict part method guy. And yeah. when you think about just even the notion like you said, like, you know, like, and, and I, I guess I didn't realize that, uh, you know, Jeff Van Gundy and I are completely uh, at war now as well. I guess <laughs> the, like, you know, cause his brother was, was the assistant when I was a manager of Wisconsin. So I spent right, time yeah. to stand. Uh, although that was whole too, is that now I'm kind of thinking about it. Stu Jackson definitely did whole and not as much of the drill stuff. So like, cause a couple different things are going on here. 
when you're talking about you know drills for like skills, uh, that's one thing as far as yeah. like you know breaking and, down. And, and, and that part. is a very good point. Is we're talking about two different things here, right? So like I for can't. me, like if I'm going to teach like the first option of the triangle offense, we're going to do two line drills, and it's the exact action out of that offense. You start here like you would in the offense here, and you start there, and we are going to run it. And the only thing that I've changed uh, over the last several years is that I used to do a lot of just two on O, and I kind of wanted them to get bored. And then I do three on O, then I do yeah, four on yeah. O, and we build up from there. And you know, of course, at the high school level, you have weeks to put it in, or you know, or you have much more time than you do anywhere else. But um, and then those drills just become your warm up drills, right? You can use those anytime you want to kind of get them warmed up and get the shots you're going to get in the games. Uh, what I didn't do enough of was live. And so now what I'm doing is I'm actually filming a how to how to teach a triangle offense break uh, video. I'm going to sell, and it's going to you know it's got a lot of stuff in there that doesn't even apply to the triangle. But the idea being that get the two line drill without defense as quickly as you can, and then just get defense out there, make it live. It will be messy. It will be chaotic. But I think that the players will more rapidly develop the skills they need to understand how that fits together. And I, I agree. And I agree with you. And I, there's, a, there's parts of the ideas that are – and I think what you've done is, is really good. And, and I think it gets back to one thing I like is you have an idea of the whole, whether you show it to your players or not. You have an idea of the whole, and you whittle it down to a part. And you're playing out of that part, and I think that's the best thing. A lot of times, people, uh, you know, people will ask me, "Hey, what are your favorite? You know, what's your favorite two on? You know, what do you like two on two? What do you like one on one? What do you like?" I said, well, like, "Well, let's find three on three within your offense. Let's find two on two within your offense." And so, you, what you've done is you found a, a two man se- a two person sequence within triangle. You're, you've built it up. You built it up. All right, now let's play two on two there. And now, when you play five on five, again you get to that two part se- that two partner sequence, and now you're playing from there. And I think that's the best way you can play one on one. That's the best way you can play two on two. And conversely, that's the best thing way you can work on some of your defense principles is find you know find the two man situations within your defense, and then build from there. And I think that's very important. You've whittled it down a five a five man action to two, two people, and you've built it from there. And that that's a terrific teaching concept. That I think sometimes is lost. Yeah, and I, so, and I don't show the hole in the beginning. And so it might yep. take a little bit longer. And at one point, the guy's a little bit lost. And I'll say, remember last week we were doing those drills? And then he goes, yeah. I said, okay, this is the same thing. See, And then like the light bulb goes off. And it might yep. take an extra four days. Yep. But in my mind, that light bulb and that solidification of that information was so much stronger than having gone through that. And then we have the whole season now of using all those drills you'd want. You could use those to warm up for a game, for heaven's sakes, the way we would do it. Uh, and I think part of the issue, though, as I noticed with the, you know, when you go live early and then you go live as much as you can is two, two benefits. One, or two things. One is that um, you, you're going to get action that you never would have thought would have happened out of that. And that yeah. could actually bleed into the games, right? And yeah. they get to learn that. Like, oh, maybe there is a cut here instead of there. And they get yeah. to think for themselves. But I think the problem that maybe a lot of coaches might have is that it looks chaotic, and I think a lot of coaches have this notion of my practices need to look perfect. And I want my lines to be beautiful. And I want every drill to look perfect. When it's someone, if some random person walked in, they'd see a beautiful you know, practice yeah. going on. And I think that that's what you have to get over. Uh, you have uh, to- and it's a, that's a fantastic point. Because um, I do think a lot of times people want that clean practice. That, and that's not the goal. You know, the goal is for improvement. And sometimes there's, some, there's stuff that, that's muddy and you know, doesn't, 
And I, uh, Tim Close, uh, the head coach at Iona, who I referenced before, you know, used to always speak about that, that, you know, early on, you know, we talk about, I know we played very fast, and you play very fast, and guarantees you early on that ball is flying all over the gym. You know, it don't you know it's hitting every wall, it's hitting every sign in the gym because there there will be turnovers early. And he said, you know, that's part of. And he said part of why people are dissuaded from playing fast, even when they make the decision, hey, we want to play fast. Those turnovers start coming. It takes you have to be committed to it because you have to live through those and say, all right, let's teach the let's get them playing at a faster speed. Let's teach decision making out of it, and then you know soon those turnovers will die down. Um, and I think lots of times people are afraid, be it playing fast or be it playing anyway, of it gets chaotic. It looks sloppy, and they want clean, pristine practices, and that's not necessarily what you're looking for. You're not trying to run the cleanest practice uh, possible. Uh, on your earlier point, I want to make one point. Um, I forget what was your first point on that. I, I oh, um, that you get. Uh, it's, uh, you get things you didn't see. You get things yeah, right, that you, right. you, you didn't see. And I, I think that's where how important it is to watch your practice film. And, and you know, if, you, if you're a high school coach, I understand it's a lot. You know, you're, I'm the college guy saying film every practice. Well, we don't have those resources. If you can find any way to film, film. You know, is there someone that you, you've cut three years in a row? Would they be willing to help you out as a manager? You know, if you can film practices, film is just such a brilliant way to teach and for yourself and for your players because a lot of times you're learning stuff from your players. You're going to learn things from them you didn't see before. Um, and I think, again, oh, I didn't realize that we could get to that from there. I think that's a that's a tremendous concept that all coaches could apply from. The, the other thing I like about uh, the two-line, three-line drills and the, and the part method as well is you can't hide. Um, you can't half-ass it. We're going to yeah. see you know, five on five. There's, there's a lot going on. Footwork get lost. Spacing is, gets a little screwy quickly. But when you're doing two on two and three on three, like, you know, I can see it all. I'll know right right away. We can correct and fix and help. And I feel like uh, that's invaluable to motivating and and establishing that hard work that you want everybody to do where, you know, I'm sure we've all seen those practices where I see it because I'm just observing. And this guy is is going 40 percent and, you know, it's kind of hidden behind everything. And I think that's that's where. Yeah, if you've ever gotten a chance to see an NBA team practice, and you know it's amazing how hard they go during five on zero offense. It is incredible. It's incredible the talk, and the communication too. And I, I, I kind of use that as an example for your three man is because that's their form of fundamentals. That's where they get all their footwork drills. That's where they get. They're not doing. They don't have time within the structure of an NBA season to practice or do you know skill work necessarily as much as they want. So. That five on zero is kind of their skill work. So that three man drill, you know, you need to, you know, if you can build up the understanding within your team concept that that's where you're working on your, that's where we're working on your footwork, that's where you're working on your fundamentals. That every time you're catching it, you're catching it ready to shoot, you're catching it ready to play, and you're using proper, you know, your proper pivot and all that. That's where you can get in all that work in, and it's building up your fundamental base. Yeah, and also when you do the two on two, three on three, you get a lot more parity. Uh, you know, five on five, you might have, especially if you want your starters to play together, you know, a lot of teams, especially at the high school level, that will, the, the, the second five will get destroyed every time. And yeah, it's that's really hard. But, you know, if you do three on three, you know, you can have your, your, your top three guys and, you're, you know, the next three are probably a little bit closer. Suddenly there's, some, there's, there's competition. And that's the other thing. I, I think I, that's why I would, you know, if I ran a program again now, I would have as much. Like, I think I shied away, thinking I need more control. My practicing need to be perfect and whatever. Yeah. I didn't do enough of those breakdown drills live, and um, and now I, I also feel like 
my teams traditionally would start out slow and not kind of unaggressive. And then we kind of get warmed up yeah. and then get going. And I'm convinced, I don't really have any scientific proof, but I'm convinced it's because of that. And if had I done more of these like really um, uh, intense uh, live drills every day, as much as I did for the, the three on zero, I think, I think they would have been ready to go quicker in those games. There is an element of bringing live play in too early, though, before the fundamentals of foundation's been set. Mm-hmm. And I, I use a, I'll use an example of something of if you're trying to teach something and say you're trying to teach uh, uh, say you're trying to teach ca- you know catching footwork on the catch and you're teaching it and you introduce it into live play and you're demanding you're having them play one on one right away it's almost a mode of survival that they go into survival mode and they're doing whatever they can to win that one on one game and they might necessarily they might cut not cut corners necessarily almost even consci- consciously they just do it to win the game and so i think adding that live play too early i think sometimes they can negate and go back to old habits so i think that is something that you need to look for and you need to be paying attention to is do we have a fundamental base that's been set already or if we go live here are they just going to revert to old habits simply to win the game and, and yeah, and that's something you need to be looking at. Yeah, and then that always brings back to the guy who I reference all the time, which is Brian McCormick and his fake fundamentals books. Uh, because have you read those at all? Do you know? Terrific, and really incredible concepts that you know I think any coach could you know could benefit from. I'm trying to call it up right now as we speak because I want to look at the uh, the the, um, the table of contents just to see because if we have, if you don't know what we're talking about and you're listening to this, uh, Brian McCormick has written two books right now called Fake Fundamentals One and Two. And they go over certain things where, like, for instance, if, like, and here's what I thought. When I was coaching, like, even six- and seven-year-olds, I thought, man, they can't even catch. They can't even pass. So I would get them out there, you know, pair them yeah. up, and they just pass back and forth, back and forth. And we'd, we'd do that way too long. When yeah. in reality, when you get games and a little bit more active, they will teach their bodies how to do it. So all of a sudden, and by the way, like, and someone just showed me this. I always thought, you know, I thought for sure when you pass the ball, your thumbs should be pointing down and you get backspin on the ball yeah. and your arms out. Well, it turns out there's another way to do it where your thumbs are actually pointing forward and you can still get that same kind of, uh, you know, flick of the wrists and the backspin. And someone showed them, I'm like, oh, wow, like that's a whole other thing where that seems cool. And if you actually, if you think about it, if you can put in your mind's eye Gene Hackman passing in the Hoosiers, he did that. I don't even think I realized until I watched <laughs> it later. I'm like, oh, he's, he's, he's popping and flicking it, but he's using his thumbs forward so all of a sudden you realize that like and, and, and my kids the six and seven year olds started doing so much better so much faster when i got away from these static drills yeah. uh and just got them up in the space and moving and tra- having and to you know learn it and teach their own bodies i would recommend brian's books and i would recommend chris oliver with his game space training uh, of basketball immersion i think those are two guys that have approached uh coaching and approach skill acquisition in a very uh, in a very scientific way, in a lot of way, but also one removed necessarily from the traditions of typical coaching. Of that's how we've always done it, and I, I think that's what I think. To be honest, so when I hear Brian or Chris talk, uh, that's Chris Oliver, basketball immersion, or Brian McCormick of the Fake Fundamentals books. I think you know I just hear them as it's a refre- it's a different idea, and it's coming one that's not coming from just traditional the traditional patterns. Of coaching, uh, you know, that's been established in, in in coaching basketball. Which actually brings me to another point because you've you've seen a number of NBA practices. Is that that's safe to say? 
Yes. So, and I have as well, and I've been at a clinic with like an MBA, you know, uh, skills coach. And yeah. Where so it, it's conceivable that what he's showing them are the kind of things that they would probably do at their level as well. And when you see the thing, I, I had seen one of them in a team that will not be named uh, doing these things, and I'm like, gosh, that was that was correct in 1994 when I graduated college. It's exactly how we taught it. It's not what we do now because yeah. we've learned a lot since then. And I, I started to wonder, I'm like, when is the last time Coach X on this NBA team ever went to like a, a coach's clinic? You know, like I, I, I seriously have doubts. A lot of the guys who are certainly in their 50s and 60s, you know, and maybe it's not their fault because they're so busy during the season and then all I want to do is relax or whatever. But, you know, I've been to a number of coaching clinics that are high profile. I, I almost never, unless they're speaking, I never see them there like listening and actually taking notes. I mean, do you get that same feeling? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's something I think, you know, your a coach's growth is something that they need to put into their own hands. And it's something that, um, you know, they're they're the, I think they're good ones that are always trying to find different ways to do it and always trying to find, you know, who's doing it best. And they're trying they're going they're talking to people, they're watching things, they're just trying to find different ways to do it. Uh, you know, does everyone do that? No. But I, I think it's a requirement. And that's just part of, you know, is I want to I'm constantly looking and asking people and trying to find, you know, who, you know, who's doing like, who, who do you know that's good at this or who runs the best this in your league? Those are questions I'm always asking. Uh, do everyone, does everyone do that? No. And have people kind of fallen on their ways and, you know, I hope I'm never that way. Can you, can you have success in this industry and kind of, you know, just set and say, that's how we're going to do things. You know, I think I could see how you could kind of convince yourself with that, especially if you have success with it. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the right way? No. And I think the I think the best ones are always looking for different things. And, and that's where, like, you know, a guy like Brad Stevens uh, up here with the Celtics, you know, he had he had 20, 25 college pro coaches. In, uh, and he kind of hosted his own coaches, kind of, kind of private deal, seminar type, symposium type thing. Uh, but the best, are, they're always trying to get better and they're always trying to, Hey, is there a different way I can teach this? Is there a different thing that I can teach? Is there a different way I can connect with these guys? Um, I think that's that's some of the best do, and I think that's what separates them. Yeah, and I and I always feel like you know certainly the connection and the communication is always uh, uh, is different because everyone is different, and there's ways that you can you can do that. Um, I'm I am in a continual search for the universal truths of this game, and I, I, I you know, and I, so I'm probably now. There's probably some guy who's you know 20 years younger than me who just got out of college who's like, man, Coach Dick doesn't know. You know, that's old now. You know, even though I'm thinking it's new. But it gets to you know one of my favorite quotes is Dick Devenzio of PGC Basketball Point Guard College, and he says basketball is a game of never and always. It, it it's you know it's it's not a game of never and always. That you, it's it's just not a game where this is always right and this is never right. There's a time and place for everything. You know, there's a time and place for this fundamental. There's a time and place for that pivot, and it it's not it doesn't always it's not always that because there's so much reading and there's so much there's five you know there's ten people on the court and you're moving around. And I love that quote: basketball isn't a game of never and always. And so it's not something that something's always going to work there's always different things that you can learn and there's different things and, and you know you you're looking for the universal truth and i am too but the secret is it's not out there and you can always just find different things to tinker to your system and tinker your code to your coaching uh okay i i guess i i will not abandon my search uh in the face <laughs> of that uh you know and by the way it's like it's funny because you know i fancy myself an offensive coach 
Uh, the triangle has been, you know, sort of the thing that I've attached myself to and, and truly really believe in. And, you know, the thing I have to argue with so much is that, you know, and I, I, people don't understand that the offense in, in the notion that it's as flexible as it needs to be to get whatever you really want. And I, that's what I'm hoping to start to continue to prove. But the defensive side, it's funny. I went back, you know, I haven't coached for a few years. And every once in a while I might fire up some old footage of what I ran my program in the, in the Valley here in L.A., and uh, I got to say, it's like my, the defensive philosophy that I had, I feel like ended up probably being better than the offense. And it, was, and, and it goes back to this notion of, and I know everyone, all the coaches probably hear what, you know, KISS, what, what KISS stands yeah. for, which is keep it simple, stupid. And so I don't know. I almost feel like, and, and I'm a snob about it. I will fully admit it. And I, you know, I get on Twitter and I see something I don't agree with or feel like it's wrong. I, I will call it out. But let's talk about this for a second because you probably have heard or seen you know, me rail against, you know, rail in, in favor of teams that play no middle defense, for instance. And that's one of those immutable truths for me. You know? yeah. uh, and it's, it's eye test. I think I've seen some results, some, some scientific analysis of that as well as far as field goal percentage. Um, what is your take on that? I'm sure you've seen every which way there is to run a program for defensively. What, what do you think about that? Of, you know, no, no middle, no, no middle or, you know, going sending to the middle, just kind of that paradox. Yeah. Or, or in theory, is playing parallel straight up at, at, at them and not. Forcing yeah. Them. You know, I think, you know, again, it gets back to, you know, there've been programs, there've been programs that have been successful doing both. I, you know, I am a no middle guy. Um, but, and I think a lot of it comes down to your, you know, your, you know, you're a, you know, your culmination of your experiences. Who did you learn from? Who have you been exposed to? Now, I think the best, like I said, the best are kind of always trying to go outside and not necessarily sticking to the guys they worked for, but they're going and who spending time with other guys. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a no, I'm a no middle guy um, that I think, you know, the best thing is, you know, if, as you're pushing that ball to a side, keeping it on that side and, and not, and not allowing it to get to the middle of the floor but again, there are people successful doing doing all of it. You know, there's Tony Bennett's sending guys to the middle with the with the pack line. There's people playing straight up. Um, you know, I'm I'm more tended to you know to tend to drift to the no middle side. But as well, I see the virtue, and I, you can be successful. Again, it gets back to how you're teaching things. I guess you know, to me, it's like even at the high school level, when that kid gets into the middle, no matter what level of skill he has. He like turns into an all star, and part of the reason yep. is you know when you're shooting straight on or in the lane straight on, it could be short, it could hit the backboard and go in, it could hit the backboard straight and go in. You have a lot more leeway. Whereas if you're on yep. the side, you know you've got to get it in right right in, and so that's part of it. Um, and so and certainly you probably shoot more shots in your life from that that middle funnel up to the top of the key than anywhere else, uh, maybe the wings, but either way, um, and so. You know, that, that's where I've kind of developed this notion of, and, and, I, and I haven't seen, you know, I, I know the pack line's funny because it's like I'm sort of a pseudo pack line coach because uh, I have my off ball. Okay, well, that goes into uh, helping one pass away, um, which is another one of those big ones where, like, it's almost immutable to me not helping one pass away uh, yeah. unless you're guarding Tony Allen or, uh, or Robertson, um, you know, or those kind of guys. And you can certainly, be, you know, please let, let me, leave them alone. Um, and so I start to thread this and build this, stitch this thing together. And, uh, and so I, I recognize it. I know, like, I suppose you can funnel the middle. And I guess you're going to have somebody already there to help. And that's not going to kill you or it's going to be valuable. But I don't know. I just, I, I, I can't, I, it's hard for me to see. I, all I see are easy oh, shots and, and fouls and that kind of stuff. 
You know, and that's where I see. And again, I agree with you talking about the guy gets in the middle. He's an all star. Well, it's just where where there, there's no help side. That if if you're gonna if the ball gets in the middle and you're gonna help, then someone is gonna be left open. As the ball is pushed to a side and you're in help, then uh, you know conceivably your man is far is a far ways away, and it gives you air time to get to it. Uh, you know, I'm with you on where if you're if the ball's in the middle and you help, it's there's an open shot somewhere and. and Gets back to your point about you know helping on the strong side is something where it just kind of gets to a point that um, I think the misunderstanding in basketball circles and, and maybe with fans and even with some coaches about the glory of that corner three um, and everyone looks at that and it's been trumpeted and it's very important you need to make it but the it's it's there's nothing. It drives me nuts when I hear it's nothing about the distance of the corner three and then NBA. That isn't what differentiates the value of the corner three to anywhere else. And yes, those are made at a higher percentage. But the reason has nothing to do with the distance. It has to do with defensive rotations and the fact that there's no such thing as a contested corner three because people just don't take them. And it really has to do the, – the glory of the corner three and the high percentage in which it's made relates to your point is that good defensive teams – you know, are, are hesitant to help off it, but when they do, it's a wide open shot. Because simply, if you help off of the the man in the corner, then it's an open shot. So the corner, the the glory of the corner three and the high percentage has nothing to do with the distance. It, what it has to do with is the fact that the other areas of the court, their dad is infiltrated, infiltrated, you know, with poor shot selection, and not necessarily poor shot selection, but simply by mad virtue of the shot clock or virtue of you know, that off-the-dribble threes are taken from the wing and the top, and contested threes are taken from the wing and top due to the shot clock and whatnot, and they're not taken from the corner. And I think some data and some analytics have not taken that in, haven't taken that into account when they're talking about the corner three. Yeah, you just blew my mind. I, that, that was, you were absolutely right. I, mean, I can expand on that, and I don't know if I covered it specifically. <laughs> just, to, you know, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. There was a stat that said 95% of corner three-pointers are open threes. That number falls all the way to 60% on other areas of the court. So simply, it's not that in that percentage of open mm-hmm. that you know versus contested, that's what makes up for that difference and that variation in the percentage of, of, of threes made from those sections. And you see, though, in you, you, one way to look at that is that the um, the corner three is made at a higher level in college, just like it is in the NBA. So without that broken line where you know we're underneath the break, where it's a shorter shot, that doesn't exist in college. But yet that discrepancy exists. Again, it gets back to the corner three and the glory of it has more to do with defensive rotations. Yep. Than the line or than the distance. Now, although you could factor in the distance, at least in the NBA game, because it's shorter, the defense can get there a little bit quicker. But then it's the function of the offense. Then they don't shoot the shot. So, exactly, and, and that's my point: is yeah. that simply those contested shots aren't taken; those right. are driven. And you know, and if you think about um, if you think about uh, threes taken off pull ups. Uh, you know, while it's not a incredibly efficient shot, people you know people make them. Damian Lillard, you know, right. Steph Curry, but you know those are taken and the break. Those are taken above the break. Those are taken at the top of the key and yeah. on the wing. You talk about shots taken at the shot clock. You're not you're not necessarily getting a ton of those in the corners. You're getting them above. So that discrepancy between the percentages 
has less to do with the distance and has more to do with the shot selection of, of the shots taken above the break. Right. Uh, you, you know, in terms of threes taken off the dribble, in terms of contested threes. Yeah. And I think that's something that I think is an important concept, defensive concept to understand about just how important it is that if you help off that corner one pass away, it's an open shot. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, the funny thing is you know, the culmination of every uh, option, at least the way I teach a triangle, is a corner three. And it kind of makes sense. If you were to run it all the way through, that the action you're going to get will most it will invariably force – that guy to help off and it will be open like yeah. the, the, this the, the fact of a pass going to the corner if the guy is is going to receive it means he's open which means it's going to be a shot he will not get the pass if he's not open and he will certainly not shoot it if the guy yeah. is close enough so that's that's exactly. a really great point yeah. um wow um let, well, let, let me ask you this because as we talk about uh, one pass away and like even like the pack line versus versus what i do uh you know what's interesting to me is is that the pack line they'll put you in position to help before you need to help basically yeah. So that you're already your there. Your body, your positioning is your help, is, is I think the line. Yeah, and so then when you need to close out, you are in theory closing out from a static movement. You're not moving at all. You now have to generate momentum from a stop. Yeah. Well, what well, a way I teach it is, you know, because I don't want to help one pass away, I want you to stunt though with the express purpose of getting right back to where your man is. Yeah. And what I've discovered, as we, and we've, what we've all discovered in the, as we've studied more of the, uh, of the biomechanics of movement, is that that stunting and that jabbing of the foot and then pushing off and being able to go back makes you more explosive and quicker to get back at the man. And at the high school level and probably even at the college level, like I'm always taken aback at how well that stunt works on the ball handler. Just by st- stamp, you know, uh, jabbing at him, get one hand in his direction, you know, half the time the ball handler pulls up a little bit or slows down and then get, his man can get in his way. And I think it's a really interesting, uh, you know, uh, way to, to, to differentiate between that, and which is why I also like what I do better, yeah. uh, even though they're very similar as far as that part goes. Um, no, and that's where I, I think, um, you know, I, I think the, the stunting. You watch a good, you watch a good NBA defense or even a good college defense. The, the amount of stunting that's done in the half court by those teams, it is incredible how much. And it, it almost gets back to the point of like. Do anything you can. Get away with all the help that you can off of your man. Help your D, help your man as much as you can. Um, and, and I got a chance to hear, uh, and I'm just trying to pull it up now, I got a chance to hear um, a Quinn Snyder with the Jazz actually goes as far to differentiate. They have three kinds of stunts. Um, they have the regular stunt where uh, as the ball is in the air, uh, and this is talking, um, you know, you, I'll try to equate it to dribble, but this is on a, uh, for example, if they were on a high pick and roll, um, if they were to um, flat hedge it, so and that screener was to pop to the top of the key. They're to, in these descriptions, I'm talking about what kind of help the weak side defender would, what kind of stunt he would bring, and they have their regular stunt, whereas the ball's in the air, that screener who's popped at the top of the cane is waiting for the ball he would feel that stunt he would see that stunt they have a scare stunt where if a guy can't really shoot it and they're not afraid of him making plays out there simply as the ball handler picks the guard picks up his dribble to throw back that weak side defender steps at him and goes back to his man it's a scare stunt we're not afraid and they have a lat the final one so regular scare and the final one is a stay stunt where essentially it's not a stunt at all. He's going all the way 
with his stunt and they're either that weak side defender is going to take on that man so you know going as far to differentiate the kinds of stunts they have stunting is like i said it's unbel- it's, it's something that all great defenses do and it makes you quicker um now pack line guys would say hey we teach stunting too we're in our gaps the our our positioning is our help and we just don't want to go in two directions is what the cat which is what the pack line guys would say is we don't want to move to help and then back to recover we're going to start and help. We're going to stunt and then go out to recover. Who's right? Who's wrong? I know you. You know I know you. You. <laughs> you think the pack line guys are wrong. I'm more in the line of you know. You know it gets back to how you're teaching it. And now part. I'm more prone to a no middle. Uh, a no middle situation. Yeah. No I, middle I, uh, I, system. So much of what I think we learn with the, with the way we move our bodies and the way we can load up, which gets me to my one of our last things we'll talk about, which is uh, the hop. Uh, you know, I, I feel like kids respond to that a little bit more these days as far as a teaching point. Whereas sometimes, you know, kids are just naturally, you know, they especially the high school level or you know, college is different. I, I get it, especially at Army, who are, these guys are military men who are yeah. trained to follow orders. So it's probably going to be you know, a, a lot easier in theory for you, I'd imagine, right? <laughs> Um, and you know you got guys who are highly organized, highly disciplined. I, I, would, I would hope. Um, so anyway, but uh, you know th- when I start to talk to them a little bit about the notion of functional movement and the way our body is moving, why this works and this is better, like that just seems to be an easier teach teaching point for me uh, these days. And the kids seem to be into it more, uh, and and perhaps you can get more out of them out of that. They believe a little bit more on that end. Whereas you know back in the day where we'd be doing you know the foot fire stuff or whatever you would be doing, and it'd be like a, a punishment almost it seemed a little bit harder so that's what makes me more excited and i have to imagine even at your level which is sort of you know maine is not uh you know uh major d1 your mid your mid level whatever you guys must have you know some notion of like you know strength and conditioning coaches and and biomechanics and all yeah and it's interesting there's so much more sports science and embracing of sports science in the last, you know, 10 years, you know, and I'm a, you know, I'm 28, you know, I've only been in and around college hoops now for 10 years, but the embrace, you know, the embrace of sports science has been incredible. I think kids are just coming in with so much more knowledge and with such a more sophisticated idea of nutrition and, um, and strength and conditioning and sports performance than before. There's such a, you know, it's such an advanced knowledge than what was there before, even from when I was in school, just, uh, the guys that were, you know, the guys were in our program when I was there. Um, he now there's just so much more of an emphasis placed on an early age, and people just have a better understanding of uh, their bodies and you know how they can Im- impact that with training and with nutrition. Absolutely, and that's what's exciting about it because now you get better basketball generally. Yeah. You know, when you do that, and I think the key here is it, it, not that it levels the playing field. But I certainly have seen the results of kids in my program who worked with, I had an MBA trainer come in twice a week to work with my kids all season long. And then all of a sudden you have guys who like genetically would not be predisposed to be an athlete at all. And who are, who have embraced it to the point where they are now the quickest in all of our little shuttle drills and all the lateral movement. And we always talk about, we talk about in recruiting a little bit where um, being at Maine, we need to, you know, and being some of the places we've been, it, you know, necessarily, we've kind of tried to find, um, we've tried to tap uh, maybe undervalued resources without trying to sound too much like Billy Bean, but we've tried to find, all right, what are some, what are maybe, what, what's something that maybe we can throw out that a lot of people are paying attention to putting value into that we don't, we aren't necessarily worried about. And one way I look at that is just in terms, like you said, in terms of bodies with, if you get a kid who may not, be 
super developed, uh, you know, with you know, in terms of his muscle, in terms of how strong he is. That's something I know we can control. That's something that I know by the time with with what we do with nutrition, what we do uh, now in, in college with you know a full time strength coach. That that's something I think we can impact. Where I can say that's something we can control. That by the time he's done his sophomore year, I feel fairly confident that he's going to be able to gain 20, 25 pounds. Now, maybe kid isn't genetically, you know, predisposed to put on weight, but that's something that I'm saying, Hey, you know what? I think that's something we can control. We can get him stronger. And it's almost, all right, that skinny kid, we're going to take a chance on just because I know them, you know, in two years, he's going to be 20, 25 pounds heavier just by virtue of being a college weight. Oh yeah. Well, or even farther, you know, you, you're going to be able to open up his hips You'll be able to teach him how to properly load on a jump and land. You'll be able to teach him maybe even how to run better and more efficiently. Or like, you're going to teach him how to eat and you know take care of his body and all those things. Yeah, and, and, that, that's, and I think that's where there's such an advance. And you know, when you were, you said when you were working with Wisconsin, I can't imagine what they were doing in the weight room. Can't imagine what coaches now, strength coaches now, would say to their programs they were on. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a lot of grunting, a lot of you know heavy weight. <laughs> And a lot of, you know, it was, it was, yeah, like when I, when I grew up, I was in high school, like I was a kid who was so motivated to play. We didn't have, I didn't have trainers. We didn't have any other information. So we were just lifting and really straining until failure and all these different things. And it was still going on in the early nineties. Uh, although, uh, Stu Jackson did bring in a whole sort of subset of like footwork stuff, yeah. the ladders and all that stuff. Yeah. And there was, that was the beginning idea of something about how you want to have balance and, 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 and more fluidity and how you move your feet. Uh, but like even what I've seen in, in even the last five years, it's changed since I started with, uh, when I programmed in 2010. Um, uh, but just like the notion of the, how important like the hips are, for instance, is, is like a revelation to me. I have a hip replacement because my hips probably were just so tight growing up and I was just grinding and playing and not understanding the value yeah. of that. Um, and it's really, you know, I remember when I first took over in 2010, I met with some, yeah, the, the local, uh, you know, warlords of high school basketball in LA. And, uh, you know, I, we, I was trying to get a handle on the landscape, what I needed, what should I should be doing this and that, whatever. And I remember I was writing out some notes. He took my notebook from me, took my pen and wrote, get players and then circled it. And that was it. That was his yeah. solution. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, getting some players, you can shortcut that a little bit. But I never, uh, there was no more pleasure I took from having a kid walk in as a freshman who like tripped over the baseline. But like, there was something about it you see like in the tryouts, like something about him that he had something I responded to. And by the like midway through that kid's sophomore year, he is one of our best players with the perfect footwork and he's explosive and he can shoot. And then the next kid would come in, it was a freshman who looks like he's like, doesn't want to even be there because he's going to get cut. And I'll be like, you see that kid? That was you yeah. a year and a half ago. And well, that, that, that's how paychecks come in our industry. Yeah, and it's, it's almost like, like people you know, forget. Like you actually have to. You, you can actually develop players. They can improve. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. That's how paychecks come. You see a kid make that kind of leap and buy in like that. That's how you get paid. Well, I'm going to throw this out there as we wrap up here. Yeah. Um, I've talked to a number of Division One shooting uh, coaches about shooting. Most yep. of them, to the man, will say, "Well, we, you know, we can't do anything with their, with their mechanics at this point. We're just going to try and give them enough confidence so they can make as many as they can." And I, I just scratched my head, thinking, "You're going to, you're going to lose your job because these guys are going to have hitches in their shot." I mean, I see it when I was watching their practices. They're not going to make a lot of shots. They're going to miss a lot. They're going to lose games. Um, do you believe and do you work on the actual shot mechanics at your level? It's something we talk about a lot, and it's something that I'll always ask guys, and I love asking the question because a lot, I'll always get a pause because it's some. Because well, I'll, I'll say this is, I think we'd all have an, a, a 
approach we'd take to coaching someone one-on-one shooting. But as a head coach, what's your shooting philosophy? What's your, how do you coach shooting? How do you coach shooting to 15 different people? Because shooting is, a, is an incredibly complex motion. It's complete, you know, the lower body, upper body. It's incredible. And how do you, there's no one way to do it. So how do you coach it to 15, 16 guys? And that's a question I ask a lot of people and it's, it's really hard. It's a very difficult. So, you know, what do you do? Is one person coaching shooting? Is the head coach coaching shooting? Does he have something that he's saying, this is how we're going to coach it. All of you need to do it. But what about Jimmy who is shoots 45%, but he, you know, he, he releases ball from the left side of his head. It's something that's very interesting. I don't think a lot of people have a plan. And I think a lot of people do what you just said, where it's like, and I think a lot of it is comes from alignment of staff that it's not really clear. Because here's one thing is, or do you let everyone coach shooting? So the head coach is saying one thing to Jimmy. The other coach is saying, you know, another assistant saying so- something else. Another coach is saying something else. And they might all try to be say the same thing, but he's hearing four different things. And one guy's calling it, you know, you know, one guy's talking about his follow through. The other guy's saying, hold his hands high. And he's trying to figure out, well, what am I, act- what's he actually hearing? And yeah. I think it's something that I think, Shooting is something that's incredibly undertaught uh, in uh, you know in in division in division one basketball and, co- and basketball in general because simply it's not easy and I almost defend coaches by saying it's not easy. Now I think you need to have a plan. What is going to be your plan to coach shooting on a team wide basis? Sure. Rumor has it that Beeline has the has the best uh, system in place for shooting. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't argue that. I, there's some guys, other guys, that are doing a high level, but uh, you know that. And I haven't had the, pri- I haven't been privileged enough to watch his practice, but I, I've heard the same. Yeah, and it, it, to the point where it's like it's it's notable because not many other programs have like you're going to come to Michigan and we're gonna we're gonna give you the framework of a of a shot and then, you know it's going to really help you guys and like, you know, like and we've seen you know well like Stauskas is probably the best example of that so far and I asked and him one, I said so do you think you'd be in the NBA without Beeline and you know he's like well I'd like to think I I I was good and I'd make it on my own anyway but he definitely gave him a lot of credit for the way he shot and one thing is of programs that I've just been observing and talking that have a have a kind of a shooting philosophy it starts with the feet and I think that's the way you can really coach 15 guys to do to shooting and I think that's the way and I think approaching it and having uh, the kind of a right way to catch the ball right way to you know to you know position your feet on the catch uh, well really quickly are you a hop or one two guy I'm a, I'm a one two guy and I, I are you deleting this recording after hearing that? <laughs> I, uh, I, don't I know you. I, I, I know you. Right I know you're a pro hop. I know you're. A, you know you're a. You're a hop. Uh, I think you're going to vote for it in the election in November. I will. Um, I will vote for the hop. You know what? It's a good point. I, I, I certainly better than what we can choose. For right <laughs> you're going to write in. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we, I, I was a one-two guy for 12 years. I would not let my players uh, uh, hop, and I, until I understood what it was. But that could be another conversation. Uh, you know. Um, but uh, how about the, the really quickly? You mentioned the, the, the feet and the and the alignment. Uh, you you've seen what we talk about with the turn, right? Yes. What do you what do you feel about that? Um, I think it's something that you know I've been interested by. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of those guys where I want to I want to see all the ideas. I don't I, like again. I get back to it's a very shooting is a very complex thing. Guy, the, you lay out the twenty best shooters in the world. They've all shot twenty different ways, and I think there's you know there's bits and pieces of of guys and. I've seen the turn and I find it interesting and I find it, I, and it makes sense to me. 
But, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to teach and say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. Um, There might be a guy, you know, in our program that might be doing it a little bit. I might kind of try to expose him to those ideas. Uh, But I I don't think it's something that I'm saying, hey, this is how I want to do it. Because simply, I think shooting's tough to – I think shooting's tough to approach that way. Yeah. So, you know, you're, and incorpor- it encompasses your whole body. I, I, I put it, I, I compare it to pitching in a lot of ways, uh, yeah. baseball pitching. Yeah, I got to do another video on it, actually, because I have a lot more thoughts. And we, I always ask that question and, and get some interesting answers. So, uh, you know, we'll keep working on it. I, I'm going to keep looking for those universal truths to uh, yeah. shooting, defense, offense, And, and keep putting thing. out the hop videos. I'll keep watching them. Maybe you'll get me there. I might, I'm I'm a one-two, but uh, you know I do like, like I said I do like, like to be exposed to it. But do you that, think the hop's better just because it's quicker, or I think it's quicker. I think it's more balanced. I think um, you get more rhythm uh, with Steve it. Donahue at UPenn, who's the head coach at UPenn, he was at Cornell, went to Sweet Sixteen at Cornell. It was a head coach at Boston College, and he's a terrific offensive mind and a very good teacher of shooting. He had a great answer about. He said, if the difference between getting the shot off and not getting it off was between the hop and the one-two. Is that really a shot you want to take? And that was his, that was his, and I, I only present that as I really like that approach to it, and that, that was his answer to why do we teach one-two if hop's a little bit quicker, and even admits that hop might be a little bit quicker. He's saying, well, we're, we're looking for wide-open ones anyways. If, if the, the difference between getting a shot off and not getting off was hopping, well, that's not one we want. Well, that's one we want to drive anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah just, I, I will. And I again, will. I yeah. want to hear the different things. I like watching your stuff on the hop because I like being exposed to it and thinking about it. And you haven't fully got me over there, but uh, yeah, you know, well, yeah, and the quick, quicker is part of it, but it's also uh, rhythm. And and we see yeah. the guys. Uh, it's uh, the the one two stuff when I see guys uh, lose their rhythm and it's subtle and it's all the stuff we've learned now with the way the body moves. Um, it just seems like there's less. Uh, it's more rep- replicable with the uh, with a hop. Um, and that's another video I need to do as well because there's a couple guys like in the NBA, like Iguodala, who's a great example of that, who sometimes does it and, and he'll get a nice rhythm and other times he does not all from the one-two. And uh, it drives me and my other hop guys nuts because we know that in two, three weeks we could, th- we could cure him. But anyway, uh, I, Zach, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and breaking this up down with us. We'll have to do it again. Uh, there's a lot it. more to talk about. Uh, I also, we, you know, we should definitely check in during your season. I'm curious to hear, you know, how Army is doing and how, you know, the, the, your system is working. That would be another interesting thing. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Well, you got it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You win. Are you in, Zach? I'm in. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. 
This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants. Participating stores. 